Just look at somebody next to you and say, um, everything's going to be all right. No, 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 wait. Look at them and say, it's going to be better than all right. Because you need to know that and need to remind yourself of that. I'm real serious when I, what I prayed earlier, just thinking, God, what are you going to do? You know, I, somebody told me, he said, when you have those moments... You don't know what to do. You don't know what's going to happen. You should embrace that time because that's when the Lord's level to just shock the gore out of you. And anyway, we kind of need a good shocking in this hour, and um, that's my prayer. You know, we wake up every morning. We wonder what's going to happen. Some of you look at Fox News. And try and, some of you don't. You probably will be blessed if you don't in that day, but especially some of the other things. Haven't of you noticed the media, most of the media, you know how much of the truth they tell you? Probably about this much. It's not much of the truth. It's mostly just the opposite of what they tell you. But um, anyway, this is the time we find ourselves in. So what are you going to do about it? Some of you are thinking, God, what are you going to do about it? You know what God is saying? I already did. I did a pretty good thing. I sent my son. He rose from the dead. They killed him. He rose from the dead. And uh, so now I've called you. I've always felt, you know, when Jesus said, you know, it's finished, there's going to be a testimony on the earth, Pastor Louis, Devin, you guys. There's going to be a testimony on the earth by the church before it's all said and done. Somehow we're going to say it is finished. Now, what do I mean by that? Did God send Jesus? He said, even as the Father sent me, so I'm sending you. Did Jesus succeed in his mission? Do you think you're going to fail in yours if he sent you? It ain't going to happen. We're going to succeed. So anyway, well, this week was glorious. Yesterday, I don't have time to tell you everything, but we just had an amazing time with these men of God, and I'm going to introduce one of them later on. He's going to share testimony with us. But the whole week, Friday, we finished up the discipleship gathering in Uganda. This was the number 17. Now, we've been doing every Wednesday for a year and a half these crusades, and they tell us revival has shown up. Well, this Friday, they did a discipleship gathering. That's when they set up these screens and speakers in these remote areas of Uganda this one was remote because Annie got stuck on the way. She showed me the road. It was just nothing but mud, but they made it. And my thought was, God, how are they going to get internet there? If you saw what I saw, you would ask the same question, but they did. And anyway, it was a glorious time. And I was thinking back, you know, the prophecy that Benny Hinn spoke. How many of you remember? You know what I'm talking about. Some of you don't. Benny Hinn was preaching in 2019 in Uganda, and he stops, and he says, oh, wait, I see a vision. I see a mighty move of the Holy Spirit, a mighty outpouring of revival, restoration, healing, deliverance, salvation in 2022. Now, that had, I'd been a little bit puzzled about that because we started the crusade in 2021, 
But actually, the first discipleship gathering occurred, because I counted them up this week, in February of 2022. And that's the time I told you, the first one, they'd lost the internet. And I, I, I thought, God, this was a dud. Why did we do this? We paid all this money. They couldn't even hear me. But that's when revival broke out. And so it happened in 2022. We finished up 17 of them. And we're going to jump into 2023. And it's going to be glorious. But now the prayer is, okay, God, you're doing this in Uganda. You're doing this in Congo and Tanzania and Kenya and Rwanda. How about America? You know, and it's not about us. I always remind those guys, you know, because I would tell them, look, it's not about me. It's just other men that have come. You know, there's some that plant. There's some that water. But God gives the increase. And God gets all the glory. And anyway, we've got to speak into our nation. You know, it's, it is a, uh, let me put it this way. How do you, how do you say that? You say it like you mean it. It's a scary thing to stand in a pulpit in this hour. Because if you remain silent, then you're going to be held accountable for your silence. In fact, some of you, you need to be speaking up to your families. Because uh, we're going to be held accountable for the things the Lord's shown us, the things we know. And this week, I saw again... Oh, and by the way, you know the church is the pillar and the support of the truth. How many of you know that? If we don't speak up, who is going to speak in our place? CNN, MSNBC, and you name it. And those guys that should have been dead a long time ago, I looked up some of them. They're very old. I don't know how they're living. But, you know, some of them have been around way when my dad. They were messing things up when my dad was a little boy. Anyway, they're still in the earth. But anyway, you got to speak up. And now, it, we do not, one week does not pass by where you see a story of another young man, young girl, athlete, dropping dead suddenly. And it's almost today as if, well, that's just an accepted thing. People die suddenly all the time. 18-year-olds always drop dead in their classes. No, it's not. And this week, yesterday, was it the day before the soccer coach, you know, we was 48 at least, journalist, a soccer journalist drops dead. But also a 21-year-old TikToker, had a million followers, just happened to drop dead. Folks, this is not by accident. It's not by accident at all. And the church has to rise up. I was thinking again this week about that scripture in James chapter 5. You should read it. It speaks about the elite of the earth and how they gather all the gold and the silver. But they've actually acquired riches that will become corrupted in the last days. And they're actually setting setting themselves up for a great slaughter. Hey, Shirley, bring that water to me. For some reason, I'm more thirsty today than I've been. And that would make sense to me. But anyway, at the end of James, it speaks about the elite of the earth and how they condemned, they condemned and they murdered the just and no one resisted them. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And we're living in that hour that's very little resistance. 
All the resistance is in my mouth. But anyway, we need to speak up. Now, there are a few more things before I get in the Word. You guys hang with me, okay? God bless you guys in Georgia that stood for righteousness, even though it seemed like you were defeated. You did not suffer defeat. When you pulled that lever inside that voting booth for what was righteous rather than wicked, you became a victor. I know you didn't win, and these things are happening in this hour, but do you know that not only those who do such evil things are condemned, but those who give their approval as well. So when you vote for unrighteousness, you can expect exactly what the Bible says is going to come. That's the judgment of God. But you guys and many of you in Georgia voted for righteousness. Others of you did not. You're going to have to stand before God. We're living in crazy times. It is so obvious today. Jesus is separating the wheat from the tares, the sheep from the goat, the left from the right. I used to ask the Lord, Lord, does that really mean the left from the right? No, 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 because there's a lot of people that claim to be on the right. They're really on the left. They're just fooling everybody. But at the same time, he's lining them up, and they're all deciding. Jesus said, either you're for me or you're against me. And then this other thing, and if the church doesn't speak up, who is? What, what did they call that that was passed this week? The uh, Respect of Marriage Act. It is no respect of marriage. It is the disrespect of marriage. It's the Respect of Gay Marriage Act. And anyway, the, was it the, uh, the Senate? And our own senator, Senator Burr and Senator Tillis, gave their approval to unrighteousness. And then it passed the Congress, and you can be certain the president. And it's going to launch a wave of persecution against the church. So we better be ready. We didn't ask for it. I would have voted against it. They didn't ask my opinion. But the church needs to know what they believe in this hour. There's some things you can't just endorse because your political party endorses it. You got to stand before the Lord. I, I saw this, and I'm going to get to the word. You guys are going to let me ramble a bit, right? Because if I don't, who is? And we're supposed to be the pillar and the, the support of the truth. We're not so bunch, supposed to be a bunch of cowards that run and hide and hope somebody else does it. Because there ain't nobody else out there that's going to speak. Most churches are silent. And the judgment of God will come their way. Because these things that are coming are going to come to their doorstep. I invited many pastors to that call that we had where they were trying to waken the church. Rise up. Contact your senators. And nobody responded. I did contact my senators. They just didn't pay any attention. But God will get their attention. Anyway, this was a state of theology among American evangelicals. These are supposed to be the guys that believe the Bible. You're supposed to be those that believe Jesus is Lord and you follow him if he is your Lord, right? Okay, here's what it is. Nearly half of evangelicals in America agreed. Now, they asked this survey. This was according to the Colson, Chuck Colson, you know, center. I, you know, that man died a long time ago, but he was a great American warrior. And a man of great truth, and he evidently, his organization is still going on. 
Nearly half of evangelicals agreed that God learns and adapts to different circumstances. He does. In contrast to the biblical doctrine of the unchanging, inimmutable nature of God. God does not change. He's the same. And he's not going to change his mind because of culture changing. Anyway, half of evangelicals believe that God's wishy-washy and he's changing his opinion on things like marriage and stuff. Now, secondly, 65% denied the doctrine of original sin. Well, then you don't need the cross, do you? Just do away with the message of the cross. Why, should, why did he have to die if you don't have to have your sins forgiven because we've all sinned? But anyway, how does 65%? And then 56% of evangelicals agreed with the idea that God accepts the worship of all religions, including Christianity, Judaism, Islam, Buddhism, you name it. No, that's not the truth. Jesus said, I am the way, I'm the truth, and I'm the life. No man comes to the Father except that he comes by me. And then the most stunning thing is to do with the topic of Jesus and his divinity. When they they were asked whether they agreed that Jesus was a great teacher but not God, 43% of American evangelicals said yes. Well, we're living in some challenging times, guys. Most of our brethren have been, they've been duped, so we're going to have to stand firm. Now, I want to show you a bunch of scriptures. You guys with me? I'm just going to see where we land. I'm going to take off, and hopefully I'll land. If not, then, you know, go home, get something to eat, come back later, and I'll still be flying around. I just am taking this thing serious. Now, look over in Jude. Jude. Say Jude. You might want to read the book of Jude. Because when you get to heaven, you're going to run into Jude. And he's going to say, did you read my book? And and anyway, you you might want to say, yes, I read it. It's a word for the hour. So what's happening in Jude? And then I'm going to get to the script. I ain't even got to the message. This is all, I think I know what's happening. There's a lot of warfare today. If it does that again, bring me that other mic, but I think I've got it fixed. This is church 2022. Way to 2023. You think church is going to carry on as normal? Some professional is going to get up and give us a professional speech. And we're going to go home and act just like we did before we got there. It ain't happening. If you're not sold out for Jesus, you will sell out you will sell out in this hour your faith. It's going to happen. I'm telling you, in case I don't see you anymore. Because anyway, okay, so this gets serious, David. This is somebody, you know, this is what really made me mad. The other night, Friday night, Joni was here, and she said, a lot of people think I'm a nice guy. I didn't like hearing that. I mean, I'm, I, I don't mind being nice, but I don't want to be known as a nice guy all the time. Does that make sense to anybody? I didn't come here because you were nice. Huh? Okay, good. Yeah, I don't want to be nice. I mean, I want to be, I could care less about being nice. I was sitting over there thinking, I don't want people to know I'm nice. (laughs) Fooey on that. I want to preach the word of God. I want to be truthful. 
I'm going to stand before him and give an account for every word I spoke and every word I didn't. And you'll be held account for every idle word that you spoke. And anyway, this is the time we live. We're going to have to talk a lot about that. But look at in Jude. Now, Jude is a very important book. I read where one of the commentaries said that Jude was intentionally planning on writing on salvation. But false teachers and prophets showed up in the church in sexual promiscuity. So he had to address the issue. And he gave the people, he told them that one of two things were going to happen. The judgment of God would come or you would be convicted and there would be a turning back to the Lord, basically. You have to read the whole book to find all that out. But look in verse 5. He says, but I want to remind you, though you once knew this, that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt. Now, Egypt is is speaking of salvation. It's a representative of that. That having saved the people out of Egypt afterward, say afterward, destroyed those who did not believe. So he rescued them. They, They came out of bondage, but afterward he destroyed them because they no longer believed. And then in verse uh, 6, he talks about the judgment of the great day. Then verse 7, as Sodom and Gomorrah and the cities around them in a similar manner to these, having given themselves over to sexual immorality, and they went after strange flesh. You know what strange flesh is? Men with men and women with women are set forth as an example suffering the vengeance of eternal fire. Now, I'm telling you that our God is still the same. And then in verse 11, woe to them, for they've gone the way of Cain. I'm going to talk about that in a moment. They've run greedy in the error of Balaam for profit. They only said what would secure them their financial gain. If there were threats, then they changed and perished in the rebellion of Korah. Anyway, it's a wonderful time to be a believer. I'm just telling you, Jesus did not come to destroy you. He was destroyed on your behalf. You just got to put your faith and trust in him. And the Lord's not come to judge. He's come to redeem. But if you reject the redemption, then there's the judgment. So, Lord, thank you for this morning. Lord, you gotta, you got to help. I'm willing. Here am I. Send me. Everybody in this room, they would not have come here if they were cowards entering into this new year. Because you said all cowards are going to find their way to the lake of fire first. First. All across America, there are men, women in pulpits that are going to find their way into the lake of fire if you meant what you said. If you didn't, you'll have to straighten us out on that. But we can only proclaim what you said. Because we're going to be held accountable to preach the word of God, not our opinion. Lord, I really appreciate a lot of these guys' opinions. But a lot of their opinions don't matter. Not this way. They don't matter. It's what you said, Lord. And God, I thank you. You're raising up young men, young women, older men, older women, that are going to be full of the fire and the truth of God. And one more time, we're going to turn this nation upside down, not because of who we are, but because we are yielded and surrendered to you. And because of who you are in us. 
Because you said, greater is he that's in me than he that's in this world. So we thank you and honor you in Jesus' name. Amen. That wasn't so hard. I hadn't even got started yet. All right, now let's go to Revelation chapter 2. It's not so hard. What are they going to do to you, kill you? You just get to go be with Jesus. What are you living for, this life? No, we're living for all of eternity. Paul said, I count it all loss in order that I might gain Christ, Jesus. Anyway, Revelation chapter 2. Now, I'm going to get into this. And uh, verse 8, and to the angel of the church of Smyrna write, these things says the first and the last who was dead and came back to life, I know your works, your tribulation and poverty, but you are rich. Say, I'm rich. In other words, they're not going to, to be able to digitalize or rob you of the riches that are in Christ Jesus. You may be, you may lack in this world of the world system, but you will not lack of the kingdom system if he is your king. He really is your provider. Say, he's my provider. And he's going to show me big time in this day what that means. Oh, you didn't say it. He's going to show me big time what that means in this day. I don't think I repeat it the same way, but the main thing is the main thing. He is your provider. You can trust in him. All right. Well, you know you're rich. I know the blasphemy of those who say they are Jews or Christians, and we can compare that, but they're not. But they're of the synagogue of Satan. I heard this week that the fastest growing religion across the earth is Satanism. I would almost believe it. I don't believe it because I believe God's up to something greater. But they're starting to begin Satan, after-school Satan clubs. I saw that in Virginia. It's an incredible time. It's almost like the worship of Lucifer. It's almost like they they probably better hurry up and try to mask us up again because their masks are coming off. Now, we're not going to get masked up in this hour. No matter what, we're not going to bow. Because this is something else that happens in this text. Do not fear any of those things which you are about to suffer. Now, who's speaking? Jesus. He's speaking to a church at the end of the age. And really, is representative of various ages. But indeed, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison. That you may be tested... And you will have tribulation 10 days. When I read that, I'm not going to get into all the theological meaning. I just appreciate it being 10 days and not 365 days. That's the way I think. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Sounds like there's no room to quit. No room to give up. I'm going to cash this in. He who has ears to hear, let him hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. And he who overcomes shall not be hurt by the second death. And anyway, there are a lot of things going on. We could read more into this text. There was the deeds of the Nicolaitans that spoke of later. 
And they were those that had to compromise their faith in order to keep their job or their security. They were demanded. They had to worship the God of the hour or you could lose your job. And you had to join in with the sexual promiscuity of the day or you would greatly be censored. Anyway, it's amazing to me how the Bible applies to this hour in which we're living. Now, I'm going to shift gears. Say, thank God you get to shift gears. Maybe, because I'm not stopped. Luke chapter 12, verse 49, Jesus said, I came to send fire on the earth. That means ignite or cast fire. And how I wish it were already kindled. I wish it was already set on fire is what he's saying. But something had to take place in Luke 12, verse 50. But I have a baptism to be baptized with. And how I wish or how I'm distressed is what the Lord said. How I'm distressed I am until it is accomplished. And then over in Mark chapter 10, verse 37, the disciples said to Jesus, you know, we, we want to sit at your right hand and uh, one at your left. And uh, Jesus said, you know, you will. You, you, you don't know what you basically said first. You don't know what you're asking me. You want to sit at my right hand. You want to see my glory. You don't even know what you're asking. That's what he says basically. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with? And they said, sure, Jesus, we are. I don't think they meant it. They didn't know what they meant. But he said, you will indeed drink the cup that I drink, and you will be baptized with the baptism that I've baptized with. Now, a couple weeks ago, we began a message on what really a great subject, on the fellowship of his sufferings. The kind of sermons, messages, sermon. Maybe it's what it was called in those days. Today we don't call it that, but I remember I was cut on those kind of messages. You know that if you meant, if you were going to follow Jesus, it would cost you your all. You had no, this was not just Jesus as one of your gods. He had to become God or don't accept him at all. Does that make sense to anybody else? It's a time in which we live. But I want to pick up with part two. Actually, Martin Powell preached part two the week after or something. Same scriptures. So this is like part three. But I want to go back and review a few things, say a few things we said, but I want to dig a little deeper. Is that okay? God, wake everybody up. I don't want to, if I see you sleeping this morning, we're going to let you sleep because you probably didn't get any sleep last night. But anyway... That's the way I feel. If I see people sleeping, I think, you don't know what they experienced last night. They might have been awake all night listening to you the first chance they had to sleep in 24 hours. So anyway, I'm not going to worry about that. But anyway, I'm going to try to put it together. I remember just read the book of Ezekiel, and Ezekiel looks up into the clouds, and he sees storm clouds forming, and he says he sees a rainbow in a cloud on a rainy day, but in that he saw the appearance of the glory of God, which it seemed like to me it meant a few things. Number one, when you see the storm clouds forming, know that the sun is still shining beyond the clouds, always. 
regardless of the storms and the intensity, the sun is still raining. He's still shining. Secondly, there's going to be storms. I mean, Jesus said there would be storms, but he saw a rainbow. What does that mean? It was a reminder of the promise of God that he's not going to destroy the earth, specifically in that time, by, by water, by flood. But it reminds us of the promises that in this hour, regardless of the storms that are about to come on the earth, We are those in whom the promises are always yes and amen. You can believe that. You can trust that. Storms do not disqualify the promises of God. It doesn't matter what happens. And then the next thing, now this is what really blew me away. He said, he looked in these clouds and he said, and it had the appearance of the glory of the Lord, which tells me it's in the midst of the storms that we're going to have our prayers answered. We're going to see his glory when darkness is covering the entire earth. They didn't just make that plain like they should have. Okay, so let's go back now and review a few things. First Peter chapter 4. Turn over there real quick. Say, I'm with you. You better be. Hey, we're family. Well, this is it. This is our family. How many of you know this really is your family? I'm always thinking, Lord, we're like a gigantic home group. And when I saw the kids and my granddaughter, I thought, well, that's what would happen in a home group. Folks wouldn't be concerned about that. Man, let them do cartwheels. Welcome all the children in. Man, this is is the family of God. So we want to welcome all the kids and anyone that wants to show up around the altar as long as they're seeking the Lord. But anyway, 1 Peter chapter 4, we, we, we need to remind ourselves of this. Beloved, say beloved. Do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you as though you're losing your mind. Now it says as though some strange thing has happened to you. But same thing. How many of you ever think you're losing your mind? These things are happening. You don't know why. Lord, what is happening to me? I must be losing my mind. But look what it says. But rejoice, say rejoice, to the extent that you get to partake of Christ's sufferings. You get to share in, you get to fellowship in the sufferings of Christ. You may also be glad with exceeding joy when his glory is revealed. Now look over in Philippians chapter 3. Paul said that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and what else? And the fellowship of his sufferings, if by any means I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. And what he meant by any means is whatever it takes. I remember a song that they play before football games sometimes. Whatever it takes just to get the guys geared up and ready, whatever it takes. We got to be geared up and ready, whatever it takes in this hour. Now, the first century believers were accustomed to suffering. They were accustomed to persecution. If they were not persecuted, they were not living godly in Christ Jesus. Because that's what the scripture says. If you desire to live godly in Christ Jesus, you will suffer persecution. They understood the way of Cain. Remember, Cain murdered his brother Abel. Why? 
How come he, why did he do that? Because Cain's works were wicked, Abel's were righteous. And the early church understood that those whose works were wicked were going to murder the righteous. They're going to want to do away with them. And so they didn't fear. They remembered Jesus said, do not fear those who kill the body. James chapter 5, they murder the just and nobody resists them. I'm determined to be one of those that resist. I know what the scripture says. But each of the original apostles eventually became martyred for their faith. How many of you know that? Every one of them. James the apostle was beheaded around 36 AD. Thomas was slain with a spear while on a missionary journey to India. Simon was crucified. Mark the evangelist was tied up and burned. While Bartholomew was beaten with a whip and eventually died from the wounds from the beating. Andrew was threatened and warned to not preach or teach about Christ and the resurrection. Here's what he said. He said, I would not have preached the glory of the cross if I feared death on the cross. And then he was crucified. Matthew was arrested in Ethiopia, staked to the ground with spears, and then beheaded. Matthias, who was chosen to replace Judas, was stoned and he got beheading as well. Philip was stoned and crucified. Peter, remember him. He was so broken over his denial of the Lord that they were going to crucify him. So he said, well, look, I don't want to cause any further shame in being compared. Crucify me upside down. And you know what they did? They granted his request. They crucified him upside down. Now, back to Philippians. I want to try to say some things we said before, but I want to add to it. And then this is going to be an amazing time together today. But Paul was in prison writing a letter to the church and the saints, the leaders, and he found himself in captivity. He's in prison. And there are a number of things that Paul discovers about his captivity that we want to remind ourselves of because Paul, his greatest desire was to know the Lord in the power of his resurrection. But he had an understanding that if I'm going to know him in that kind of power, I also must know him in the fellowship of his sufferings. Now, the word suffering, I'm glad it's getting close to Christmas. Next week, we won't go here. Unless the Lord wakes me up, gives me a dream, I'm going, I'm going to Christmas, Lord. I want to just celebrate. But I'll speak what you tell me to speak. I'm just asking, Lord, maybe I could preach a message on Christmas next week. You know that, I mean, it is good that he came, right? The definition of suffering is to undergo or experience what is inevitable, unavoidable, unplanned, and unwanted. Do any of you ever experience anything that you would rather have avoided? Lord, if I had any option, I would avoid. Well, remember Jesus? Hey, take this cup from me. If there's any other way, nevertheless. Now, the word for fellowship means koinonia. Did you know that? Koinonia. I've heard people say, we want koinonia. Well, koinonia means communion, partnership, or you're sharing in the sufferings of Christ. 
Now, the early church, they understood this. The church of 2022 has to be reminded, Jesus said, if the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. Yet because you're not of the world, say I'm not of the world. This is going to be one of those tests. If you're of the world, you love the things of the world, you're going to get along just fine. Yet because you are not of the world, I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. Now how did Paul respond to his suffering? Let's look at this. Just to review some things. Verse 12 of chapter 1. He says, um, no, back up verse 3. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you and in every prayer of mine making request of you for all joy for your fellowship in the gospel from this day until now. In other words, Paul maintained an attitude of thanksgiving. Now, he's in prison. He wasn't moaning and groaning and complaining. You don't want to be complaining in this hour when the judge is standing at the door. You don't want to be in a place of moaning, complaining, oh, God, woe is me. You're liable to find out how woe you really are. The judge is standing at the door. So he's in prison. Thank you, God. Thank, I thank God. You know what Thanksgiving shows him when you're going through something you'd rather have avoided? You know what it shows him? That you trust him that you're thankful that though your situation has changed, God's character has not. He's the same whether you're outside on the streets or you're inside behind bars. Does that make sense? Give thanks. So anyway, he maintained prayer. He kept his joy. Oh, man, if I tell you this once, I'm going to tell you twice, three, four times. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Ghost. What does that mean to us today? Righteousness in the midst of the gross, whatever wickedness you can imagine. And it's going to get worse. But you can walk in righteousness when everybody else is walking in unrighteousness. Secondly, joy. No, peace. Let's do peace next. That means in the midst of conflict, Whatever's going on in the world, though World War III break out, it's already happening, but if it really broke out, you know what I mean, really, 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 not, not just what's happening, the biological, psychological warfare that we're facing every single day, but I mean, it broke out with things unthinkable. You could walk in peace when everyone else is walking in a state of war. How do you know that? Because Jesus said, my peace I've given unto you, not as the world, but my peace. And no one can take my peace that I've given to you. And then joy, in other words, great sorrow, you can have joy. Rejoice always, and again I say rejoice. You're never going to gain any right to stop giving him thanks. One of the signs of the last days, the perilous times, is they were unthankful. We're not going there. Say, I'm not going there. I'm going to be thankful. And then the next thing, verse 6 and 7. This is good. I'm so glad we get to look at some of this again. Being confident of this very thing. Say, very thing. That he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. In prison, Paul? Are you kidding me? That's what he said. 
And he was referring to himself and also to the saints at the church of Philippi. In other words, the greatest work that he's doing is not what he's doing with us. It's not what he's doing through us. It's what he's doing in us. And that work he's going to complete regardless of the circumstances. Wherever you find yourself, whatever's going on around you, the work that he started, he will finish it inside of you. The enemy's not going to cut it short. No plan or scheme of hell will stop God from saying, doing what he said he would do. Does that make sense? Remember, Paul said, my little children whom I labor and birth until Christ is formed in you. That's the greatest work, in you. The word form is morpho, it's where we get the word metamorphosis, and we know there's a complete change. You become something totally brand new. And then another time I'm going to get into Romans about the sons of God. They only tell us half the story. The sons of God are those that it's going to be known that they are conformed in the image of the Son of God. And they went through the processes in order to get there. Anyway, there's a whole lot more. I don't want to open all that up. We'll get there later. Now look in verse 12 and verse 13. But I want you to know, brethren, that the things which happened to me, I'm in prison, have actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So what does that say? Everything that comes our way, it should not be, now it may slow us down physically to some degree, but it will not slow down the advancement of the gospel and the kingdom of God that is ever increasing. Not going to happen. Not going to happen. Not about us anyway. This is not about our story. It's about his story. His story through us might be told the greatest when we're walking through the valley of the shadow of death. And we declare, I feared no evil. I'm telling you, it's not going to slow down. Not going to stop the gospel. The scripture says we can do nothing against the truth, but only for it. That's uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 8. If that's true regarding us, Who does the devil, who does the spirit of Antichrist think he is that he's going to actually stop the truth of God from marching on? Those guys during the Civil War, they knew something we didn't know. His truth is marching on regardless of the battles, regardless of all the death around us. God's truth is going to march on. We got to remember this stuff. And then in verse 13, so that... It has become evident to the whole palace guard and to all the rest that my chains are in Christ. Now, we spoke of this before, so I won't go into great detail. But remember, Paul was no captive to men. He was a captive to Christ. If you're in captivity to the Lord Jesus Christ, who is going to hold you captive on the earth? Who? You're a captive to the Lord. That means whatever you're walking through, your trust is faith is, the, is in the living God Almighty. Not in some man that maybe locked some door. You're already a captive to him. And you trust the steps of a good man are ordered of the Lord. Yeah. And I'm going to trust my God. I'm going to give thanks. Oh, man, there's so much I could read about the will of God. It says, if anyone suffers according to the will of God. That's right. it's what it says in the Bible. Anybody want to disagree? No, you can suffer. 
Are you planning on knowing him in the power of his resurrection? Then if anyone suffers according to the will of God. But anyway, you just commit your soul to him as to a faithful creator. In other words, you are convinced already that God is good and he's not changed his nature because your situation has changed. And then verse 14. And most of the brethren in the Lord, having become confident by my chains, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. In other words, when you are bold in the midst of suffering, you know what's going to happen. You're going to release boldness and courage to all of those around you. Just like fear gets on people. You know, fear torments. If you find some leader that's scared to death of everything that's moving out there, what's going to happen to the people? They're going to be overtaken by a spirit of fear. God didn't give them that spirit of fear. They got it from hanging around those that were wimpy and cowards, unafraid to confront the darkness of this hour. What is the darkness compared to our God? So what if Antichrist rises up on the earth in our lifetime? Greater is the Lord Jesus Christ that is inside of you and me. So we want to be bold, confident, because it spreads like wildfire. Others say, man, that gal was bold. Man, you see what she went through? I can go through what I'm going through. In fact, really the one we should be learning from is the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that went all the way for us. And then in verse 14, most of my brethren being confident of these things. But look uh, look down in verse 17. But the, the latter out of love. There was some preaching Christ for different reasons, but the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. In other words, another thing about suffering, Paul understood that he had a direct assignment from God to be in that prison. He was appointed for the defense of the gospel. Regardless of where he was, he was going to give a defense. Just like in Jude, we're living in this hour right now of sexual promiscuity, false prophets on the television, in the churches galore. What are we supposed to be doing? Defending the gospel, contending for the faith that was once and for all delivered to the saints. And that's where Paul was. He knew, I'm in the will of God. I'm going to defend the gospel. And so he started writing all these letters in prison. Now there are many more things that I could talk about. But then one more thing. Look in verse 20. Say, I'm still with you. It's just getting cranked up here, guys. Normally, I'd never get thirsty preaching. But for some reason, I could drink Lake Michigan dry. And when I get out of here, I'm going to go drink. I'm going to go find me a Lake Michigan. But I want to look in verse 20. Okay. No, no, verse 19. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through the supply of the Spirit. So he's talking about the prayers of the saints and the supply of Jesus Christ. That though I'm in prison, man, I got a resource, it ain't going to run dry. You cannot drain the source I'm drinking from the Lord Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? According to my earnest expectation and hope, that I, that in nothing I shall not, I shall be ashamed, nothing. 
but with all boldness as always, Christ now also, Christ, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. In other words, Paul discovered it was not about whether he lived or died. That was not the bottom line. The bottom line was, was, are you being glorified and magnified? Whether I live or die is not the main thing. The main thing is, are you being magnified? Does that make sense? How many of you are there? How many of you are really there? Man, I'm there. Live, die, high, low, mountain or valley, that Christ be magnified. For to me to live, if I keep on living, it's Christ. But if I die, it is gain, that he might gain all the glory. It's a different time. We're living in a watered-down gospel in America, but it's all about to change. That old gospel is going to be preached again. Young kids, instead of flipping and doing cartwheels, some of these kids are going to get up. I'm prophesying it. They're going to get up behind a microphone, and they're going to deliver some of the most anointed kingdom on-fire messages. And people are going to fall in repentance, conviction of sin, and to turn to him. And then the last thing, and I'll just mention, remember Paul in that next chapter talked about how my citizenship is in heaven. You're not supposed to get that comfortable here anyway. This is not our final destination. Not your final home. You got a home this being prepared, some people, they, they say, well, that doesn't really mean what Jesus said it meant. Fooey on you. I believe Jesus. He's preparing a mansion. I don't care what it looks like, dwelling place. Listen, if he's preparing it, I want it. And I'm going to walk in it. All these modern theologians, doctrines, they're doctrines of demons. Just believe what God said. But you're going to have to go through a baptism of suffering in order to walk in the baptism that he's prepared and called all of us to walk through in this hour. Thank you, Lord.